But they're such a wonderful, delightful couple. They sit right, right there, Travis, where you sit. Well, we'll pray for them for sure. <clears throat> Great to see everyone. Uh, brother, are you sailing? When are you leaving? You finished? Well, I'm glad to see you safe. Uh, that man is a competitive sailor, sailing on some kind of a thing. <laughs> a boat, a sailboat. How did you do? You won? I'm really glad to see you. Is your wife glad that you made it? Okay. Well, you never know. You don't want to take things for granted. Oh, that is magnificent. Tell us where you sailed again. Yeah. 800 miles. And how many on your, is it a ship? Is that what you call it? A 40-foot sail? How many are on there? Eight of you. Oh, my goodness. That is extraordinary. It's really something to think that people would get so bored with Scripture <laughs> that they have to take up. You know what I'm saying? All right. To each his own. <clears throat> wow. Where do you park that thing? Oh, you leave it in Florida? Yeah. Fantastic. My goodness. Wow. That's just exotic. Who does stuff like this? My goodness. It's just unbelievable. I have a dog. Yeah. Okay. It's about, oh, at the drop of a hat, Miss Carol. I love to talk about my doggies. <laughs> Folks. At one time in ancient Israel, the society was agricultural, almost exclusively. The um, situation that you read about in the Old Testament is largely agricultural, meaning real estate is everything. That's money in the bank. That, those are stocks and bonds, real estate. And if you forfeit it, you're in trouble. Because uh, it was an agrarian or agricultural society, you farmed crops emanated from your parcel of land, you don't have it, you don't have sustenance, not for you, not for your children. On top of it, God bequeathed certain bounded plots of land to the 12 tribes of Israel. Here's what happened. They're in bondage in Egypt. They're slave people. They do not deserve to be set free. They simply cry out for it. On that basis, God graciously hears. By the way, that's how you got delivered. Oh, God, save me. He said, I shall. Same thing. So God delivered Israel from bondage in Egypt. But Israel spent 40 years wandering to her place of rest. Her fault. Why? What do you mean? Same thing as with us. If it feels good, do it. We operate by sight, not by faith. What do you, that's just the way it is. Part of the human condition. So she ends up at her destination, but good night, it didn't have to take 40 years. All right, it did. Prior to going into the land, God says to Joshua, not Moses, who was the leader, because Moses is not making it. Joshua takes over. God says to Joshua, I want you to divide this land amongst these 12 tribes. It was called the land of Canaan. I'm giving it to you people. 
uh, but you can't just arbitrarily settle where you want to. So this area is for Gad, this is for Asher, this is for Naphtali, this is for Judah. Do it like that. Do what I say. Okay. So they do it. They go into the land. This is a good thing by a good God, because if they sustained the system, there would be a fairly equitable distribution of resource. Some would be wealthier than others, and this is perfectly acceptable for sure. That's a good thing. But in times of famine or not enough rain or something like that, you can help each other out. And on top of it, the land which God gave was not supposed to pass hands, except from family member to family member. So this generation is supposed to pass it on to the next generation in that same family. And this would provide us a societal stability and equilibrium, the likes of which, well, we don't have today. That sounds good. The plan is good, but people ain't good. Did you know this? Yeah, we're just not good. In fact, we sin. In Israel at this time were power brokers. They were part of the system. They were the government. And they found ways to obtain uh, other people's land through the system and thus to enrich themselves at a cost to the other people. But the God of the Bible is a very just God. That's an attribute of God you read all the time. Just. Justice. It's not right. And God deals with what's not right. That's the nature of Micah, chapter 2. That's what we're looking at today. He enlists Micah to speak on his behalf. I don't know exactly why God does this, but he does. He chooses us to do his work. Okay, he does it. It's a privilege, I guess. So he chooses Micah to be a prophet, a true prophet. A true prophet is someone who speaks truth, truth that comes from God. Even if the message is hard. Micah chapter 2 contains a a very hard message. Here's how it begins. Verse 1. Woe to those. Woe. Uh, That word is oftentimes found in the mouths of God's prophets. Woe to you. It's like a word of impending doom and condemnation. But you might be interested to know from whence it comes. It's used at Jewish funerals. It's when the grieving one beats his or her breast. Oy vey, vey. There's the word woe. Oy vey. Grieving. So why does it apply here in Micah 2? Micah is saying, you want to know something, power brokers who think you could do this stuff with impunity? It's as if you're already dead. Woe to you. God's judgment is so certain of realization Micah is pronouncing it upon them as if it has already taken place. He said, you're the walking dead. You think you're alive and well doing your own thing and prospering. No, you're dead in light of what's coming. Woe to those who scheme iniquity. That is a cognitive activity to scheme, just to plan. Iniquity, evil. That's not done on impulse. That has nothing to do with... uh, a mood, I'm in a bad mood, I'll scheme evil. No, this is deliberate. Just to contemplate, to reflect, to use the powers of your mind. God-given mental faculties, but for evil purposes. I emphasize the point because today you hear a lot of people, when they're caught doing wrong, make statements like, 
I made a mistake. You know, I'm always troubled by that. <clears throat> a mistake is when you make a right turn when you should have made a left turn. Oh, I made the wrong turn. I made a mistake. That's a mistake. But most sin, sin is not a mistake. Sin is a scheme against God. Sin says, I will do what I want to do. I've thought through it. You know, so the person in high places and one who is known by all of us, whatever that person is, you know, a, a well-known personage, a, a politician, a uh, athlete, an actor, people we know of, When they're misdeeds from time to time, not more than ours necessarily, but they're, but they're known people. We're not known. When their misdeeds are made known, oftentimes I hear, yeah, I made a mistake. Nobody, or, nobody's perfect. I made a mistake. What do you mean? You had an affair with someone who's not your wife. She's in another country. You used taxpayer dollars to fly back and forth. You kept this secret for like over a year. That's not a mistake. That is called a scheme to do iniquity. I'm not criticizing anyone. Don't you understand? We're all chickens in this coop. I'm just saying, call it what it is. And God has his prophet call it what it is. That's what, the, and nobody likes that. People don't like to, that is sin. What do you mean? It's just a mistake. No, no, no. That is sin. That's a, skin, a, a scheme. So, so they scheme iniquity. Look, who work out evil on their beds. You know what you're supposed to do on your bed? Sleep. They are so motivated to ply their evil trade, they, they, just, they just lie awake. I can, oh, if I do this, I can get, I can take, I could exploit. I, their feet have not even hit the cold floor yet in, when the alarm clock goes off and they're already on their beds thinking about what they could do of an evil kind. And when morning comes, they do it. They think it. Then they do it. Why? Because it is in the power of their hands. That's what it says. Have you heard the expression, power corrupts? There's nothing wrong with power except those in positions of power reveal their true nature. It's the same as ours. It's a corrupt and sinful nature. So, so, so they thought about something. You and I think about stuff, but we don't have the power to actually carry it out. Some people do. So it's in their power. These schemes, they do it because it's in the power of their hand. In other words, might makes right. I'm mighty. I have this might. I want to do it. It's right. If I have the power to do it and I'm accountable to no one else, I will do it. But that's not the way God operates. God says, do you know something? I put some of you in positions of might and authority. And you're supposed to use your might to do that which is right on behalf of those you are to serve. These are government officials. They are working the system, a system designed to help the constituents. They're using it to grow rich. Boy, I wish the Bible was relevant today. <clears throat> they work in the system. Do you know that government is God's idea? Government. It's no less God's idea than marriage. That's God's idea too. You know what else is God's idea? The church. Those three institutions, government, church, family. God's idea. Because they're all three God's idea, they all have a kind of a holy character. Which means if you're a member of government, 
You just have to know that's kind of a holy trust. You are entrusted with the well-being of the citizenry allotted to your charge. You can read Romans. That's why God created government. It's to punish wrongdoers and protect the citizenry. But when you become a government official who misuses your position, you think God's going to stand by? No way. No way. So these are people who became so detached from the very people they were supposed to serve. They had no empathy. They had no heart. They had no concern. They just saw the people as an opportunity to get rich. Why? Well, because it's in the power to do so. And so what they did, verse 2, they covet fields. Hey, have you ever heard this one? Thou shalt not. Yeah, covet. That's the tenth commandment. There's ten major commandments. That's the tenth. Why is that God put that last? Thou shalt not covet. Look, all along he's been saying, don't steal. You say, well, I don't, I haven't done that. Don't lie. Don't commit adultery. Close, but no cigar. I didn't do that. These commandments don't apply to me. I'm not a sinner. I don't need a savior. Number ten. Thou shalt not covet. That's a sin of the heart. That's everyone here. Gotcha. They broke commandment number 10. Thou shalt not... By the way, congratulations, Grandma. How's everything? These are new grandparents. Right over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Baby's good? Cute. Yeah, naturally. I saw a picture. I agree with you. There's an uncle right there. That's the uncle. Wonderful one. Kate, Mary Kate is their daughter. Uh, my, My wife used to give piano lessons to their daughter. And she turned out okay anyway. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so uh, they covet fields. And you know what they do because they covet fields? They, they seize them. They just take them. Houses, fields. How? The scripture doesn't tell us. You would think by force of arms. I don't think so. I don't think they went by cover of night with a bunch of big muscle guys with weapons, clubs, and said to the homeowner, you're out. We're in. It's not that they wouldn't have done that. It's that they didn't need to. Why not? They could just use the system. Look, it's possible that their fellow Israelites were in trouble. Maybe crops didn't produce the way they're supposed to. And these people say, hey, we'll help you out. We'll give you such and such. We'll lend you some money. Then they cash in and they say, we want your land. It's very, very possible that that's the way it was. But in effect, it was just like they took it. So they did They rob a man in his house, a man in his inheritance. Therefore, there's always the therefore in the Bible because God is just. Therefore, thus says the Lord. Behold, I am planning against this family, this group of people, a calamity from which you cannot remove your necks. Specifically, it's the invasion and captivity of the uh, Babylonians, the Assyrians. Micah is writing in that day. They're coming, this nation. Uh, God's going to allow them to. He's going to use them as a vehicle of discipline. So in verse 1, evildoers are planning evil. In verse 3, a holy God is planning judgment. See? That's kind of what's going on. And then you get something in verse 4, which is actually a song, but it's a song of mockery. It's called a taunt song. It's as if these Assyrians now, in looking to the plight of this wealthy landed uh 
oppressive, greedy class have no sympathy. Not only do they have no sympathy to them, they turn their words back on them like in mockery. So it's kind of like this, verse 4. On that day they will take up against you, see, a taunt and utter a bitter lamentation and say, and here they're going to mock the people as if they're saying, we are completely destroyed. He exchanges God, took the portion of my people. He removed it from me. He gave it to apostate people. He gave my fields. And those very ones, the Assyrians, are have no sympathy for them. See, this is kind of sort of fits, huh? They had no sympathy for their own countrymen in need. And now they're receiving no sympathy from those used as a vehicle of discipline against them and judgment. Yes, ma'am. Well, that's not, that's Micah. How are you doing? They took, yeah, yeah, it's the same kind of a deal. That's the, that's the Assyrian invasion. They came in, they took, yeah, your version is right. Yeah, it's the it's the same kind of a deal, and, but, and that, but but that's the deal. They're they're hearing the heart cry of these, whose land has now been taken by violence. But they're mocking them. They're not being sympathetic. Look, you said, oh, they took my land by violence. This is, in other words, it's not a sympathetic response. They're mocking them. That's right. That is right. What translation do you have? Yeah, that's good. You're doing good. You're you're in good stead. There you go. Way to go. Just read the Bible. You need it, Micah. <laughs> okay, so. All right, so here you go. Uh, so it's kind of a taunt, verse 4. Then you get verse 5. Therefore, you have no one. This is a tough one, but check it out. Verse 5. You have no one stretching a measuring line for you by lot in the assembly of the Lord. The assembly of the Lord, that, those are the ancient Israelites, the, the covenant community. Uh, and Micah is saying to these people, these greedy, oppressive people who are now being judged, you don't have anybody measuring your land anymore. Why? Because the whole nature of society, which would have done it, is destroyed because of you. Where are all these people who would have set bounds, you know, and said, that's your land, this is my land? They're carried off into exile just like you. The whole structure of society, the equitable distribution of land, this is mine, this is yours, you can kiss that goodbye because you people in high places have so sinned, it has affected the whole of society. So learn something about this. Sin, particularly when committed by those in high places, entrusted with governance, has an unbelievable corrupting effect on the entire society. And it just throws everything up. Hey, let me ask you a question. So do you feel safe and secure and settled in modern-day America? Yeah. Me too. Today the, heart, the cry is environmental pollution. You know what I'm talking about? Clean air, clean water, get the right light bulbs, whatever. Go green. Cool. But that's a misdiagnosis of what's really going on. It's a moral corruption. So what do you... Today you hear people say, well, it's not your business what two consenting adults do in the privacy of their bedroom. That's a very narrow idea, the pervasive effects of sin. There's no such thing as private sin. Look, let's say someone over here decides to uh, smoke a cigarette in, in the midst of the class. And I don't blame you because I'm like going on forever. You've got to relax. <laughs> so someone pulls out a cigarette here and lights up. Someone over there complains. Why? Second-hand smoke, right? 
It's a big room. But somehow that person is affected by what you did over here, just in the air. How can we have that concept? But when it comes to morality, we think it could be limited to the one committing an act of immorality. It's just not the way God designed it. Knee bones connected to the hip. I mean, hey, we're in, we're, we're in this together. We're in this together. Am I my brother's keeper? Yeah. Yeah, because what you do in private is stinking up my world. Same with me, with reference to you. So here you get these power brokers in high places playing all these games. Okay, the whole society is unsettled in disarray. It's over. Okay, so now here's what happens at times like that. You have people speaking to the issue. Voices in society. And they come in two categories. Some of the voices tell you what's true. Some of the voices do not tell you what's true. That is a a fairly simplified demarcation between people who speak when a society in disarray is in disarray. The Bible calls some people false prophets. Sometimes they even invoke the name of God, but they don't say what God wants them to say. False prophets. Others are true prophets. Those are people who simply tell you what God said. So in Israel at this time, you had both. So now verse 6, we're introduced to false prophets. And Micah records, not his words, but the words of the false prophets. And here they are. You know what they say? Two true prophets like Micah, they say, keep quiet. Do not speak out. They speak out. The false prophets want the true prophets to shut up. Because the true prophets are really raining on their evil parade. Because the true prophets say, you're in a heap of trouble. The true prophets said, whoa, you're dead. God will judge. Look what you've done to your fellow Israelites. Look how you have misused your might and position. Nobody wants to hear that. Are you kidding me? That kind of ruins your day. So the true prophets, verse 6, are told to stifle themselves. Do not speak out. They speak out. But if they do not speak out concerning these things, reproaches will not be turned back. Now in verse 7a, Micah records more of the words of the false prophets. Here's what the false prophets are saying. Is it being said, O house of Jacob... Is the spirit of the Lord impatient? Are these his doings? You know what they're saying? God is love. What are you talking about hell? A loving God doesn't have hell for anybody. Sin? Get out of my face. We just make mistakes. Judgment? Come on. God didn't give commandments, he gave suggestions. Surely the Spirit of God is not impatient. God is love. He will put up with my junk unendingly. There never will be a day of accountability. That's what false prophets say. False prophets say, eat, drink, and be merry. And they leave out the rest. For tomorrow we die and give account. No, they just like to eat, drink, and be merry. 
What is with you Bible-thumping, narrow-minded, intolerant Christians that define the nature of marriage? Who are you to say that two in-love, same-gender people cannot be married with the same level of blessing and authority as two heterosexual people? Who do you... And on and on and on. On and on. And on. There is a God... I think the big guy upstairs and the big guy upstairs is going to let me do anything I want without, with impunity because God is love. That's going on. Micah adds in verse 7b, speaking for God, do not my words do good to the one walking uprightly. You know what he's saying? The very nature of false prophets is evidenced by their response to truth. If a person is walking rightly, they will respond rightly to God's word. They'll see God's word is meant for good. But if you're hiding something and you want to be the master of your own destiny and your philosophy is if it feels good, do it, then you don't want some spokesman or spokeswoman of God reigning on your parade by telling you that's not right. You should not abort your baby. That's not right. You should not have sex with people you're not wedded to. That's not right. You should not cheat on your IRS form. That's not right. That X-rated movie kind of a thing which gives you two minutes of temporary gratification is going to wage war against your soul. That's not right. That lottery, which you think is the way to prosper, that's not the way to do it. See, see, see. See how narrow? You're even feeling it. See how narrow? But I'm going to tell you something. But if you're living by God's word, you know all those things are good. They don't rain on your parade. Those are the guidelines of a heavenly father who cares how we live and father knows how best to live. So Micah says, you people are trying to ignore the word of God because you don't have any interest in complying with it. So then it goes on, verse 8. Recently, my people have arisen as an enemy, in this case, as an enemy of their own. So you strip the robe off the garment from an unsuspecting passerby. You take away the very clothing a needy, innocent Israelite needs just to stay warm at night. In fact, it's like you do this from those who return from war. Look, when you're a citizen, you've served in battle, you come home, you have every right to expect a warm welcome. Not that someone's going to take you unawares and steal something from you. And Micah is saying, that's just how you are treating your fellow Israelites. In fact, the women of my people, you evict. This is a reference to widows in the society. You see the widow, her husband died. Everything's in his name, but the land passes, the home passes from him. Remember, he has to stay in the family to her. She needs this because in that society, a woman could not work outside the home. You don't go to school and learn computer science in that day. Your home, your land, your home left you by your husband. That's all you had in that society. And so they found ways in the law to extract that from one of the most vulnerable members of society in that day, and largely even today too. Widows could really be taken advantage of financially and in other ways. And so the government came up with laws, maybe laws of taxation, 
to minimize the sustenance of a needy widow. And not only, so that she had to get the book, she lost everything. Not only that, she has kids, right? From her children, you take my splendor forever. What does that mean? So you got the widow. She's out of the home. That means the kids. What happens to them? They are even more vulnerable than the widow. They no longer have security or anything to be sustained on. And God said, this is interesting. From her children, you take my splendor. What does that mean? God really, 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 really wants our young people to be protected, raised in the full knowledge of him, encouraged to live for him. He wants us older people to set bounds for young people, to tell them what's right, what's wrong. Because when us gray-haired, white-haired people are gone, they're next. And God says those younger people are like an ornament to me. They're the ones who will perpetuate right what's, what you are supposed to teach them to be right. They're like an ornament. And these greedy oppressors so jeopardize their future. Now they're being carried off into bondage with the rest of you. And who knows what will happen to them out of the place of promise, out of the land. They may find themselves adhering to the false idols of those people. You, you are taking my ornamentation, my splendor forever. That's serious. So God says through Micah in verse 10, Arise and go out of the land, for this is no place of rest. Why? Here's the answer. Because of the uncleanness that brings on destruction. So God takes Israel. Why? I don't know. You have to ask God. He says, I'm giving you land. Why? I don't know. You have to ask God. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. He says, I'm giving you this land. It's called the land of Canaan. It's the place of promise. It's a land of milk and honey. It's going to be your place, safe, secure. You'll have everything you need. It's going to be a place of rest. Eventually, you'll have a capital. It'll be called Yerushalayim, Jerusalem, city of peace. That's what Yerushalayim means. Yerushalayim, like from the word shalom, peace. It's meant to be that way. So is there rest and peace in Jerusalem today? Has there ever been? Why? It says right there. This is no place of rest because of uncleanness. Because of the sin of my people, Jewish people, in the land and all over. We have polluted our own homeland, our land. And what God intended is a place of rest is a place of unrest. Terrible, terrible. You just saw the explanation for the Middle East crisis. Right there. The people in the line of promise have squandered the promise and brought unrest upon a place of rest. By the way, don't point the finger only at the Jews. Welcome to America. Land of the free. Hmm. 
is fast becoming a place of unrest. How many locks do you have on your door? How many people here have concealed handguns? Don't raise your hand. (laughs) Alarms. You know, when I grew up, we didn't have any of that. You know, when I grew up, a parent had a reasonable expectation that a child that gets on a school bus by day will return on it by night. Kids being shot in American schools? Malls? Parks? What? It's a place of unrest. You're going to blame it on a political party? Don't be so narrow. It's because of uncleanness. Sin has rendered us unsafe. That's the way it is. So uh, this happened in Israel. Now, uh, back to the false prophets in verse 11. Micah is describing them. Listen. If a man walking after wind... It's quite an interesting metaphor. You're walking after wind. That's rather foolish. I mean, the wind. Yes, ma'am. Oh, now that's good. If a man walking, uh, and, and what does it say exactly? In the spirit. So here's the deal. In Hebrew, there's one word for wind and spirit. Same thing. Based on that, Some say what's in view here is if a man says he's walking in the spirit of God, he's speaking for God, illuminated by the spirit of God, meaning he's claiming something, but there's no substance to it. It's just hot air. He's walking after wind, not the actual spirit of God. Micah says if that kind of man one walking after wind, and falsehood. So it, he claims what he's saying is from the spirit of God, but it's his own sinful spirit, based upon this adjective, falsehood. If a guy like this comes around, telling lies, and he said, look at this, uh, I will speak uh, out to you concerning wine and liquor. Like I said, if a guy like that was hanging out, he would be spokesman to this people. This people would lend him their ears. Why? He's not exactly telling them to get drunk. It's much worse than that. He's telling them this Micah character is speaking about the fact that our society is in a downward spiral because of sin. He's saying there's going to come a time when the very mooring points in society are gone when government is going to falter, when the economy is going to collapse, when militarily we won't be able to defend ourselves. He's talking about all that. Sheer and utter nonsense. We have plenty of things to make you happy. We have wine and liquor. Folks, these are the ancient prototypes of modern-day prosperity teachers. These are prosperity teachers who say, yeah, I don't speak much about sin and, you know, Hell and judgment. These people don't like to hear that. I rather speak about God is here to bless you. Just believe him for it. Just count on it. Just claim it. Look, it's nice to be encouraged. But it's better to be warned of impending judgment so that we could avoid it through the cross of Jesus Christ. 
One of these prosperity teachers the other day was interviewed. They said to him, Pastor so-and-so, we wonder, you never speak about what the Bible has to say about things like marriage and sex and stuff like that. Others, but not you, take a stand on same-gender relationships and all the rest. Why don't you do that? He said, well, I just want, I want us to be inviting to all people. I just want our gathering dimes to be open to all people. I do too. But folks under the guise of including everyone, we may, people like that, may unintentionally be exposing those people to the grand exclusion of eternity. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son shall not see eternal life, but the wrath of God abides on him. It's nice to be one big happy family and make each other happy all the time, but that's not reality. For sinful people in the sight of a holy God. So these are the ancient equivalent of prosperity. Now we got plenty of wine and liquor. We got all kinds of stuff to make you happy. Eat, drink, and be merry. You know, this kind of stuff. Mike, you said, you'd listen to that person speaking lies and you would, you would reject me though I speak truth because you don't like truth because truth hurts. Truth hurts. So that's kind of what's going on. Okay. So. In fact, uh, uh, I'll share with you something from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Paul is writing to Timothy, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. And will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths, myths, instead of sound doctrine. Boy, I wish the Bible would be relevant for today. Okay, so you get verse 11, 11 verses of very uh, tough stuff. It's dark, it's oppressive, it isn't fun. You know, I don't know if you want to read this to your little child before bed. You know, I mean, it's not exactly the coolest bedtime story. You get 11 verses. Which is all the more reason when I read verses 12 and 13, I was kind of blown away. Maybe you'll be too. Things change non-smoothly, without any transition. After judgment, oppression, sin, the whole deal. Verse 12, I will surely assemble all of you, Jacob. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. I'll put them together like sheep in the fold, like a flock in the midst of its pasture, they will be noisy with men, meaning there'll be a lot of them. What? Hot on the heels of justifiable condemnation for sin, you have a promise of restoration out of the blue. In fact, in Malachi, you'll see that three times. Restoration. That's inexplicable to me. What? Gets even more striking. Verse 13. The breaker... What's the breaker? The breaker is something that breaks stuff. The breaker goes up before them. Whoever the breaker is, the breaker precedes the them, Israel in captivity. They break out. They break out of captivity because of the breaker. They pass through the gate. What gate? The city in which they've been held captive. They break out. They pass through the gate. They go out by it. Why? So their king goes on before them. Who's their king? And the Lord is at their head. The Lord is the breaker. The Lord is the Lord Jesus. 
He breaks up everything obstructing the relationship between them and him, including their own uh, hard-heartedness. The breaker breaks it all up. And as they were led out of bondage in Egypt centuries before, so too they're led out of captivity, which they brought upon themselves for sure, and are restored in the land. It seems to say that there. Am I reading that into it? Because I'm told this from time to time. Stuart, you're tooting your Jewish horn too much. Hey, listen, I'm trying to fit in. But I can't find one book of the Bible that's out of a Jewish context. I dare you to show me one book. I'm just reading what it says here. Malachi was Jewish, right? He's writing about sinful Jews, right? Then he's writing about restored Jews, right? Okay, so don't blame it on me. Take it up with God. Now, here's what some say, and I surely can understand. They say that's true. There was restoration for sinful Israel. They got out of bondage in Babylon. This is a done deal. It's been fulfilled. They're right, partially, because there's something about Bible prophecy. You would do well to know. Almost all Bible prophecy, Old Testament Bible prophecy, has a historical fulfillment and then a future fulfillment. The historical fulfillment is when God restores Israel, those who survived Babylonian captivity, to the land. But that's not all there is. I will prove it to you. Answer me this question. Have you ever heard of the book of Romans? Was that written before, during, or after Malachi? Who wrote Romans? So did Paul live before, during, or after Malachi? So Paul wrote and lived in the future from Malachi's perspective. Are you with me? Okay, don't hate me because I'm right. (laughs) Okay, we got this, right? So this is for those who say this is already done. Okay, well, let's go to the future from Malachi's perspective. Romans chapter 11. Now, I'm going to share this with you. I memorized it. Uh, but you fo- Not the whole chapter. Uh, just a few verses. And follow along to make sure this Jewish guy isn't distorting the text. Check it out. Romans 11, verse 25 and on. For I, Paul is speaking, for I do not want you, brethren. Does it say that in your Bible? I didn't make that up. So this is telling me the speaker is Paul and the recipients are Christians. Brethren, I don't want you, brethren, here's what he says next, to be uninformed. That tells me it's possible, even for well-intentioned Christians, to be uninformed about a few things. And Paul doesn't want that to happen. I don't want you, brethren, to be uninformed, he says this, of this mystery. There's something you could easily be uninformed about because it isn't that clear. It's kind of a mystery. I don't want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery so that you will not be wise in your own estimation. Does it say that? You won't be wise in your own estimation or so that you will not be arrogant? It is possible for a Christian to become arrogant in his or her understanding, misunderstanding of God's plan. You'll see for a second for who. It's possible. And Paul says, I don't want that to happen. 
I don't want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery so that you won't be wise in your own estimation. Now, here's the mystery. That a partial hardening has happened to Israel. Did I make that up or are we reading? Do you got this? Regardless of your translation, does it say something like that? Here's the mystery I don't want you to be uninformed about because in being uninformed about it, you may be arrogant. Here's the deal. A partial hardening has happened to Israel. You know what that means? God is not done with Jews. It's only a partial hardening. Would you like to see evidence of it? Everyone here who's not Jewish, would you raise your hand? Thank you so much. I've counted you. Everyone here who is Jewish, would you raise your hand? Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah, great. Wrong. Okay. 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 We can argue that later. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, there is an argument. There are Jews and there are Gentiles. Otherwise, the Bible wouldn't say there is no Jew or Gent. So it's about ethnic line of descent. So here's the deal. I'm evidence to you that acceptance of Jesus does not characterize Jewish people. That most Jewish people are characterized by rejection of Jesus. But it's not a total hardening. It's a partial hardening. Evidence. I accept Jesus. There are a few others like me. Not many. Today. But there are others. Evidence. The hardening of Israel is not entire. It's partial. Not only is it partial, it's temporary. I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, of this mystery so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel. What's the next verse in your Bible? Until. You know what until indicates? A future event and that the present event is temporary. The partial hardening is in vogue until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. What does that mean? It means my people to whom the gospel was first offered rejected it. Did that stifle God? Nothing does. He then turned through his apostles to Gentile people. And so most today who are coming to faith in Christ and have already come to faith in Christ are Gentile believers. Thank God for that. God will continue that emphasis until the fullness of the Gentiles, meaning he has in his family all those Gentiles from all nations on earth saved. All those who will be saved through faith in the gospel message that will fill up his house of Gentiles. Partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And what does it say next? It'll say, and then, or and thus, or and so, all Israel will be saved. Did I make that up? Read the Bible. All is, what does that mean? Does that mean every Jew is saved just by being a Jew? No! It means, though, today most Jews are characterized by unbelief. There will be a day when most Jews will be characterized by belief. That has not yet happened. It's future. I'm an exception to the rule. I'm a Jew amongst Gentiles. And by the way, pleased to be part of the family. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm just speaking statistics. This is my family. I'm glad to be 
in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't misunderstand. I'm just trying to tell you the fulfillment of Romans 11 has not taken place yet. All Israel is not, Jews are not characterized by belief, only exceptions to the rule. But in that day, all Israel will be saved. And, and then it says, for thus it is um, written, the deliverer will come from Zion. That's Jerusalem. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. Let me ask you, Jacob is a, a representation of, of Israel. Is ungodliness, has ungodliness been removed amongst Jews and particularly in Israel today? No way. It's a secular government <laughs> as sinful as this one. Therefore, that deal, the deliverer is coming in some sense so that he'll perform the mission of removing all ungodliness from Jacob. That's future. That has not yet happened yet. And then it says, just to hammer it down, this is my covenant with them. When? Does it not say when? It doesn't say if. When? I take away their sins. That's not happened. My people are still locked up in our sin. But there will come a day when it will be different. Now, folks, for those who say the Jews have rejected Jesus, therefore Jesus has rejected the Jews and no longer has a plan for them, I must tell you how dangerous that is. That means you're in jeopardy too. Because if the Jews could outsin the grace of God, you're next. But that's contrary to Scripture. Because the New Testament says where sin abounds, sin abounds in my people. I'm not trying to laud Jewish people in Israel. Not at all. It's about the character of God. Sin abounds amongst Jewish people for sure. But the Bible says where sin abounds, grace superabounds. Now you're going to doubt that as a Christian. You're going to be at your worst one day. And you're going to wonder what your standing is with God. I can help you. Just think of the Jews. And you're going to be reminded that the most spiritually privileged on earth squandered it, but God didn't give up on them. Oh, there's judgment, there's consequence, there's exile, there's removal from the land, there's dispersion, there's all kinds of crazy stuff going on, unsettledness in what was to be a place of rest. But one day the deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob, and then all Israel will be saved. And that is the assurance of your salvation. What's at stake here? If you study in the Bible God's interaction with Jews, you will learn two things. You will learn about human nature and you will learn about God's nature. Human nature. Under the best of circumstances, we sin. Proof, my people. Divine nature. He's merciful. He's gracious. He's holy. He stands willing to forgive. Proof, my people in existence today. And back in the land since 1948. So for those people who say what happened in Malachi's day is done. Wait a second. Romans 11 is future from Malachi's day. And let me just bring you even beyond Romans 11. Is the book of Revelation even beyond Romans 11? 144,000 Jews running wild during that future period of time. Telling people about the Jewish Messiah Jesus. Who are they? Are they Irish? Are they Italian? Are they Puerto Rican? Would be no problem if they are, but they ain't. 
It says 12,000 from each of the tribes of Israel, and then each tribe is named by name. Ask me if I know what tribe I belong in today. I have no idea. Which makes this even more important. My people, we don't know what tribe we belong in today. Why? Because of uh, all the dispersion out of our own land, persecution and all the rest, killing off of a lot of our people. We're wanderers. We don't know. We don't know where we belong. Uh, The Nazis killed uh, most of the men. They kept the women for sex. But then most of the little kids ran around not knowing who they belonged to. We just don't know. But this is interesting to me. Apparently God kept the records. Because when you get to Revelation, he knows of the tribal identification of each of the 144,000. How dare you tell me God has no future for Israel? That's future. What is your problem? And if he has no future for Israel, you're dead meat. I'll tell you why. You're just as bad. Israel nature is your nature. That's the point. As God was with Israel, he will be with you. That doesn't make you Jewish. Please don't confuse that. The church is not spiritual Israel. There's a difference between the church and Israel. He still has a plan for Israel. Listen to me. If he doesn't fulfill his promises to Israel, and you'll see like three more times in Malachi, in Isaiah, in Jeremiah, in Ezekiel, then he's a liar. He's not only lied to my people, he's lied to you people. Today, in prepar- uh, I, I was tired of studying Malachi, so I was reading Ezekiel 36. Another light text. I'd like you to read it. Ezekiel 36. Israel is up to it again. Really, really bad. Profaning the name of God. Degrading him amongst the nations. Nobody's defending Israel. I want to defend the integrity of God. He keeps his word. Anyway, Israel's doing his thing. You know what God says? I'm bringing you back to your land. He says the same thing. I'm going to bring you back. And then he says two times in Ezekiel 36, check it out. But don't you think this is for your sake? It's not. It's so that the nations of the world will see that I am holy in the midst of Israel. If you get rid of Israel, you get rid of the evidence of the holiness of God. He specifically said it's not for your sake. Are you kidding if you, if you think that Jews are the worst people on earth, no argument. I'm with you. Cool. It's even worse than you think. You should meet my relatives. That <laughs> has nothing to do with it. That's the point. So that onlookers will see I'm holy in the midst of Israel. I keep my word. I'll bring them back in the land, not for their sake, but that I might be made known amongst the nations. That is the case then. That is the case since May 14th, 1948. But perhaps you're aware of the fact that there is an unbelievable movement against Israel today picking up steam once again. So you got Russia in the north and you got China and you got the maniac in Venezuela and you got Iran. That's another story. And you got Syria in disarray and you got Egypt and you got uh, Hamas in the Gaza Strip and you got Hezbollah in Lebanon and you got Fatah going crazy in the West Bank and you got America turning its coldest shoulder to Israel uh, more than any administration in our modern day. But I don't think those are the big threats against Israel. I think the threat is when people like you and I are wrong about our theology. And when we think God has rejected and replaced Israel merely because they have not accepted him 
then you're telling me your sin has more power than his grace. His grace converted your sinful heart. You did not seek him. No man seeks God. Read the Psalms. The Bible says we are dead in our transgressions. Whoa! You know what a dead man can do for himself spiritually? Nothing! He is the author of your salvation and he says he will author salvation amongst Israel one day. Not yet. What does that mean? Future. If there's no future for Israel, you may not have your future assured in heaven. If he couldn't bring them forth, what makes you think he can bring you forth? You see what's at stake? So to me, that's the biggest threat today. And we're seeing in evangelical conservative Christian circles an embracing of this replacement theology like never before so that how can Romans eleven eleven be fulfilled? Has God rejected his people? May it never be. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Tell me how Gentile believers are making my people jealous by telling my people they're forsaken and rejected by God. That doesn't really attract us to you. That's the biggest threat to Israel. And it's happening increasingly in our day to day. Okay, so all that being said, you don't have to like your filter fish. You don't have to like our sense of humor. You don't ever have to go to Israel. You don't have to support the Israeli government. I didn't say anything like that. But you better be right about God's response to Israel or you're going to be wrong about everything else. That's what's at stake, the character of God. Okay, boy. Is it just me? I'm dying here. Wow, I'm hot for crying out loud. I sure wish the Bible was relevant today. I sure wish Malachi was not just ancient history. Restoration, restoration, restoration. And you will be stored, restored to, to conditions prior to Genesis 3 when God brings you to your place of promise as well, heaven. Lord Jesus, thank you. This is true, what the Bible says. God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do it or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Oh, God, you've made promises to us, which we believe will be fulfilled. You, our king, will lead us forth from various aspects of our own bondage through the gate of captivity and into a heavenly city, New Jerusalem, where the very presence of sin will no longer be there. And you shall wipe away every tear from our eyes and there shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain and not even death. And how do we know this? You've demonstrated the veracity, truthfulness of your word through Israel. We learn. You keep your word. Thank you, O God. Your word is true even in this day of lying and lawbreakers. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your promises and the fulfillment thereof in spite of us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, do you hear music or is it just me? That is good. I know when to stop. Come, I found 
God bless you all. See you in heaven. <laughs>